Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the measures in the UK to cut government spending to compensate for the extra cost of COVID is to cut the amount Britain sends overseas in foreign aid. Now, regular listeners to this podcast will know that expenditure doesn't have to be cut if we follow the principles of modern monetary theory. But that aside, is foreign aid necessary? Of course it is. But is it done right? Well, that is a bigger question, and maybe there are better ways world governments could help those countries that are struggling to feed their children. Are we doing foreign aid wrong? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. Now, in the latest spending review from the UK government this year, the Chancellor announced he would reduce the UK's foreign aid budget from 0.7% of national income to 0.5% of national income. That's going to amount to about £10 billion next year. But, you know, we shouldn't be too concerned about this, of course, because uh, the UK will return to the original expenditure once the fiscal situation allows. Obviously, the, uh, the developing world isn't having uh, as tough a time of it as the West is having, is it? That's why they can do without that money. And they're going to be more focused as well. This is the second point on how that money is spent to deliver the maximum inca- impact for every pound spent. So obviously, that wasn't the policy before. They were just splashing the money around willy-nilly. But Steve, uh, even in 0.5%, I mean, that's, that's that's quite generous, actually, compared to other wealthy countries. The US and Australia, for example, give just 0.2% of, of national income. So so what's your thinking on this? I mean, is, is the figure right? Does it need to be more? Does it need to be less? Do we need to agree uh, on on a set figure, and are we doing it right anyway? What, what, what's your thought on the on the whole approach to to foreign aid globally? You know, like I actually worked in overseas aid for about five years of my life. I was an education officer with the Australian Freedom of Hunger Campaign from 77 to 80, and then from 80 to about 82, 83, I worked with the United Nations Association of Australia um, in, to run a project that I came up with myself to run seminars on uh, how different countries cover each other in their press. So I had a, I ran a seminar between Australian and Chinese journalists in Beijing in 81, 82, and, of course, in the middle of that, I was working. I spent a fair bit of time going to the Department of Foreign Affairs. The um, I've forgotten what the Overseas Aid Division was called as well. Uh, and I saw how the charities behaved too. And it left me rather cynical about the whole area of overseas aid. Because um, you, might, you might remember a, a particular member of the Australian Ponzi scheme set um, called Laurie Connell, uh, but Laurie Connell was in uh, Western Australia and the West Australian Premier once remarked he'd hate to stand between Laurie Connell and a bucket of money. And a similar thing applies to uh, in local Australian companies, particularly American companies, British companies and so on. They see the foreign aid budget a way of getting selling more of their own products to a third world country. Yeah. So there's so, that, isn't that? That it's that we are mm. using it to look after our own self-interest. And then there's yeah, also the whole yeah. political thing as well. So the biggest recipient of aid from the United States per capita, I mean, it's largely military aid, is Israel. Hardly a country that's, mm. uh, that, that, you know, that, it, that is struggling to, to survive. Uh, mm. But it's actually very difficult. Well, it is, it's not for the usual reasons. Yeah, but yeah. not, not, I mean, 
they're, they're not hungry, though. I mean, you know, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, obviously there's the, the big risk there. But it's actually difficult. I went looking to try and find out where it comes from and where it goes. It's actually really very difficult, particularly if you look in the United States, which agencies, there's many different categories. For example, take Afghanistan, for example. The mm. U.S. pays $3.6 billion to the Afghan Security Forces Fund, $3.6 billion. And two hundred and forty million for the Afghan Reconstruction Trust Fund. So they're putting in, you know, relatively small money to rebuild Afghanistan, and paying a whole heap of money to keep the the, the security forces there. Uh, and you know, if you take that Reconstruction Trust Fund as an example, sovereign government spends seven point five billion on that, but the U.S. Mm. pays just two hundred and forty million. So they're paying just three percent of that. So there's this big focus on military in terms of how much money the United States is paying out, and less on rebuilding the damage that's been done by the military. Yeah, it was a wonderful lecture. Do you even know the cartoonist Ron Cobb? He wrote some brilliantly, uh, very, very, he's an American. He actually did most of the uh, graphics for Star Wars and uh, Alien and stuff like that. He lived in Sydney, right. of all things. Mm. Uh, but he had one of his favorite cartoons. They're always sending up American foreign policy. And one of my favorite cartoons by him had a, a, a Mexican, which is the appropriate thing for an American aide, uh, back against the wall because he's been held there by the right hand of a, uh, of a, of a distant uh, body, while the left hand of the same body was trying to feed feed food to his starving mouth and the Mexican says excuse me senor does your left hand know what your right hand is doing Mm. and I saw this all the time I mean the extent to which something which starts as a way of altruistically trying to help our countries uh, to to advance through development aid turns into a way that uh, it's exploited by your domestic interests to uh, be a form of export subsidy and the Americans are even worse as you say they they make it a military subsidy so you give you know 20 times as much the security forces, which of course enforce your version of American values, um, as you do to reconstruction. Yeah. So I'm, you know, if it was just coming down to the whole moral principle of you know Britain's support for the rest of the world, I'd be I'd be up in arms and how terrible it is at cutting it back by 0.2 percent of GDP. But what it translates to is less interference, frankly. Yeah. And. Um, and in, in many cases, like if you look at uh, Indonesia's attitude to the IMF, if you say you're from the IMF and you fly to Indonesia, uh, they're likely to send your plane back as a submarine because they were so horrified by the it, you know, it's imposing austerity to every every problem. To every problem, the solution was more austerity. Uh, that it's you know, the IMF and the World Bank are particularly close to being you know, companies non grata uh, in Indonesia. So is is that because there's this you know well we're going to we're going to fund you we're going to help you out of the crisis that you know all the problems that you currently face but you're going to have to pay it back I mean is that is that or, problem, or rather than it being that, that's, a, it's it's a loan rather it, than a grant it's partly the loan rather than a grant yes but in the case of grants um, it, it would I would take these things seriously if they said we're giving this money to you directly and you can decide how to spend it or uh, we set up an international institution in which the money goes and uh, you have a, like effectively a bank account because the only reason to want foreign aid is because you want to use foreign money to buy something. Mm. Uh, you know, we know there's any country with its own currency can create as much of that currency as it wishes and that applies to developing countries as well. So they don't need uh, the foreign money to, uh, to mobilise domestic resources but they do need foreign money to buy, you know, capital goods 
uh, sometimes expertise that they can't bring in locally. So when you look at that, mm. um, that'd be the benefit of it. But the trouble is it's it's tied up in so many strings. Yeah. Uh, and there's so much corruption in how it's actually allocated and, and used at the, um, the national levels as, as well. I mean, I've seen plenty of Ethiopians I know and some Nigerians telling me that, uh, you know, the, the foreign aid is a conduit to make the, 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 the wealthy in those societies more wealthy and more powerful. So uh, it's a very, very compromised area. And I, I, I really, you know, I feel no qualms about seeing the UK dropping its amount from 0.7 to 0.5. Yeah, and, until we find a better way of, uh, or more effective way of distributing it. But the, and, well, then, yeah, and then, yeah. then we need to look mm. at what everyone else is contributing as well, of course, if, if you know, people aren't paying uh, the same amount. But just getting back to this idea that a, a, a country with a sovereign currency can just produce more of, it, of its own currency, that, that's mm. less easy, isn't it? If it's a relatively small country and the problem is huge. So you need to, proportionate to the amount of money that's in circulation, you need to produce so much more that you are going to create inflation. And then we know what happens then. You know, if the inflation runs away, then everyone starts using the US dollar and the local currency is uh, kaput. You know, there's there's a limitation on how far you can go with that, isn't there, really? Particularly for very small there, countries. There was a limitation in terms of whether you've actually got resources to mobilise. And like most uh, most developing countries have an enormous amount, an enormous reserve of, you know, maybe the workers in low-wage sectors, uh, that that uh, that you could employ with uh, extra money created by the government mm. and so on. Of course, you've also got the issue of, of corruption and how that money is allocated, and 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 that's you know you'd, you'd be you'd be happy you'd be happier about uh, that money being allocated or created in Singapore, for example, than you would be in. You know, I won't choose a country that. Uh, uh, but you know, a lot of other third world countries, uh, you you would be more worried about corruption of those than you would in a place like Singapore out of domestic money creation. But it's fundamentally, if you look at far, there's no point in getting foreigners to provide money to you which you use to buy domestic resources. That's just yeah, you know, forget it. And, and you uh, and you're not going to have that inflation problem if you're creating jobs. So if you, so long as you keep on uh, expanding the money supply, so long as you're creating a, a, a additional jobs, additional work. Then inf- inflationary pressures. So long as, so long as you're employing people who are currently unemployed and yeah. actually putting downward pressure, in a sense, on on wages and so on. Yeah, um, but the the foreign aid thing. Um, you know, you, you, as a developing country, there'll be some technologies you can't produce domestically, or if you do, mm. then you've got to you've got to build the expertise up over time. So, in in all those cases, you can say yes. There's a reason that uh, foreign aid would be beneficial because it means you don't have uh, to try to run uh, as much in the way of export industries. Uh, to produce what you know, generate the foreign currency you need for um, local uh, development of, uh, of infrastructure and local capital uh, creation. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I ended up so cynical out of the whole mm. foreign aid game and not just not just the government, but also even some of the charities. Um, there's an expression which was uh, used to describe some some particularly Christian um, agencies, uh, where they said they they, they 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 are rice Christian agencies. In other words, they end up having a scheme which pretty much fundamentally involves feeding um, you know, some section where there's a famine of some description, and they expect you to convert to Christianity. Mm. Uh, and and there were, I mean, I I'm not going to give names and drills, but I saw some instances of that happening. And I, you know, less than less than enthusiastic, let's say, about even the the charity side of of those organisations, let alone the governments where it tends to get taken over by the local corporate interests and then in, in, in the America case of the Americans military interests as well and so these things end up being distortions for 
countries trying to develop rather than assistance to them. And then, of course, a lot of these countries are very corrupt. So look at, you know, the, the one of the poorest nations is the Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo. 100 million people have got starvation, they've got rigged elections, they've got corruption, they've got civil unrest, they've got violence against women. You're not talking uh, about America for a change, are you? Okay, right. So <laughs> no, Congo, no, no right, this okay. is even worse than America. I mean, 20% okay, of yeah. the girls there don't go to school. They've got a huge ethnic mix and all the all the conflict that creates. They've got uh, the, the massive deforestation as they, you know, try and uh, get food together. How do you even... You, they've got the whole thing going on in Congo. How do you even start to fix problems like that when there's just so many problems? Yeah, and it, it often is, is you, you want to have people who are uh, res, you know, responsible to the domestic uh, political scene. So in that sense, foreign money actually... <laughs> It tends, but money leads uh, people in, in the direction of the money lies. Mm. And if you have uh, foreign money coming in and it's substantial, and and the, you've got people who are willing to take advantage of the temptation, then that temptation is pretty damn uh, overwhelming. And uh, it, it's more if you depended upon foreign aid, you're more likely to be a country where corruption applies than the one where you reject the foreign aid. Yeah, well, so, actually, they, they get two. They get from what I can figure out, they get about two billion dollars in, in in foreign aid a year, which is twenty dollars per person. The hundred million people there, that's, uh, that's five cents a day. So uh, maybe enough to create corruption, uh, not enough to fix things. And that, but that is the problem, isn't it? How do you get the mm. money to the right people? How do you get it to the people who need it rather than to the politicians who are going to uh, take that money and, and use it for themselves because obviously these are sovereign nations you you, you have mm. to allow them that sovereignty so it is a uh, it, it is a big hurdle to overcome well the only uh, way that I could see it being practically done would be if the money was given in, 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 in a definite uh, you know third hand third hand way that you uh, you the country giving the money literally puts the money in a, a development bank where it's then accessible uh, to the administration of the recipient country and there's no controls whatsoever. Now, that's just about as likely as American, particularly the Republican Party, uh, voting in favour of eliminating gerrymandering. They're not going to do it. Mm. So you're left with a very a very easily corrupted system. There are lots of you know very well-meaning, uh, well-intentioned, good-hearted bureaucrats trying to ensure that these things are done responsibly. So I'm not going to do the public choice nonsense of saying they're all in it for themselves. There are you know people in 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 the, in the uh, foreign aid sections that I, I personally met in Australia had a lot of respect for. Um, but I you know at the same time you see that the p- part of the requirements they're under are to direct uh, that work back to Australian companies. Now, Australia, with its free trade uh, uh, fetish, uh, often did more to prevent that than most of the countries would do. Uh, in America, it's so blatantly, uh, this is for the sake of pushing American values and American companies around the globe, uh, that it's just, it's rotten and it goes to zero. I think it actually be an improvement over being 0.2%. So do we need more centralized efforts then? Like, for example, the uh, the, the world food problem, uh, program, I should say, they're mm. just trying to fix the world food problem. They uh, You go to their website, they say there's, they're helping 17.3 million children in 59 countries giving them nutritious meals uh, they receive about uh, 7 billion pounds dollars a year in contributions the US gives a chunk of that actually 2.9 billion of that comes from the United States but uh, still less than the 3.8 billion it gives in military aid to Israel but anyway it's all relative <laughs> uh, 
so the World Food Programme uh, costs about, uh, by those figures, about $400 per child to feed them. So a, a child with malnutrition, to fix that problem is $400. That's uh, about per year. Uh, per year. So about a, a bit over a dollar a day for 17 million mm. children. But there are 400 million children in Africa, and there's reports that a third of those suffer from chronic malnutrition. So by the same metrics, mm. to feed them all would cost, only cost actually, about 55 billion dollars now there's that's about there's about one billion people in the u.s and europe you know forget about the rest of the world but the the, the developed world in the united states and europe so 55 dollars a year from each person would pay for every child in africa to receive nutritious meals that actually doesn't sound like a big ask does it no, it's not a big ask. And then, and then what you've got there is it going through a multilateral organisation. And the multilateral organisation uh, is at least a barrier to that level of corruption building out of, you know, d- using foreign aid as a way of promoting your domestic companies. So I'm more in favour of, of the multilateral organisations getting funding um, than seeing it go from one country to another country with the corruption at both ends being quite feasible. Mm. So, you know, that that would that, be the preferable. You know, cut back from Point zero zero point seven to point five, even 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 you know, even go from point seven to say point two, but give another point two to the multilateral organisations. That'd be an improvement. Again, my exposure to multilateral organisations, if anyways, they're too conscious of removing the possibilities for corruption. So I was actually once contracted by one of these organisations, and the maximum I was allowed to charge was five hundred bucks a day, and I'm afraid that was barely more than my academic salary. So, you know, I was actually losing money to do work for them because they had these limits to uh, prevent corruption. So they go a bit too far in the opposite direction. But I'd rather that end than the the totally uh, mendacious uh, foreign aid of the current American system. So isn't that a better way? I mean, you know, no one can agree to anything. I mean, just look at the the, Mm -hmm. the way the EU is operating now. But I mean, in in an ideal world where uh, the developed world could get together and actually say, well, let's tackle some of these problems and, uh, and do it in a way where we all work together rather than looking after our own interests then if you say to say well okay the world food problem program is is, is a good start because we can we need to feed people uh, mm. who, who are struggling and that would be one point the, another one obviously is we need to help build infrastructure so maybe have some sort of uh, infrastructure agency um i mean do we do we ch- you know is that the best way forward you just chunk it up like that and then get everyone to agree that they are just going to contribute to these centralized funds and these centralized funds determine which parts of the world are, are, are most in need by some sort of formula uh, and uh, and that takes the politics out of the whole situation because everyone then is just saying well okay we agree to provide whatever it is 0.2 percent of our of our national income to these uh, to these global agencies that'd be the better approach but you know it's got a, you know, a, a snowflake's chance in hell of actually being implemented why uh, the thing would well, because it involves both the donors and the recipients admitting that uh, uh, there are massive flaws to the current system and let's go to a less flawed system, which takes power out of our hands. And uh, particularly looking at the American political system, uh, that there are plenty of corporations who play for plenty of lobbyists who want that power to remain because that becomes uh, a way in which they get a large amount of a very, you know, very lucrative revenue. So... Uh, and then at the at the domestic level, again, people would find all sorts of reasons to object to it going through a multilateral organisation rather than direct country to country. But those objections would quite frequently be papering over the fact that, well, a lot of that's money going to my Swiss bank account. Mm. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I've got an enormous amount of cynicism about this area from having spent five years in it. Right, but it's a problem that needs to be fixed because there's a lot of hungry people in the mm. world, and and obviously everyone benefits the more those uh, those uh, developing or undeveloped nations uh, move up the ladder and and start to become. Uh, I mean, there's absolutely no reason in the world is the white Africa as a nation has been forgotten. I mean, it has all the resources, has the population, uh, mm. you know, climatically okay. It's it's got a couple of deserts, but by and large, you know, it's it's very habitable, and um, you know, there's no reason why it couldn't be a, a, a developed continent. It's got a hell of a long way to go. Yeah, but that then comes down to what actually achieves development, and uh, you know, uh, the, the 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 arguments there, the neoclassical stuff about free trade, uh, is is empirically nonsense. You know, there's a, I've mentioned a few times Danny Roddick's work on this front and a few others. But when you look at countries that are successfully developed, they've done it by domestic protection. Uh, promoting domestic industry, pretty much using that capacity of, of local money creation to benefit local businesses, but force them to be, to industrialize rapidly and to become competitive internationally ra- uh, rapidly. That's you know, Japan, South Korea, uh, and then ultimately China as well have all done this. And it hasn't been a case of, uh, of free trade. It's been protectionism. Uh, even in the United States, one of Michael Hudson's most significant books was called America's Protectionist Takeoff. So that development phase um, is something which involves creating domestic resources, though you might initially need to import the foreign ones. Uh, so it's it, it, the, the foreign aid as it's done at the moment uh, is, is so distorting overall that I'm, you know, I, I'm... So you think that you think there's a concern mm. that if they become too successful, then they are going to become too competitive, and the West doesn't want that to happen. Do you think that's part of the problem? Well, that's part of the problem too. But um, it's and it's also like physically in terms of the planet itself. We mm. uh, we we're going to have a massive uh, drop in our in, our, in our production. I think that's going to be inevitable in this century. Uh, whether that's enough to to enable human civilization to survive is another question. Mm. But in that process, of course, you're not going to want Africa and so to go backwards. You want to go forwards, if anything. That's that's the part of the world where there's such a low level of energy consumption per head and such a low level of income per head that that's one where you want to to see that boosted to have uh, a sustainable human society across the whole planet. But... um, you know, foreign aid. I mean, I see it as one of those things that it, it sounds so good. Um, you know, the, the, when you when you give it the the, the, the uh, Christmas card treatment, you know, um, yeah. they know it's, it's Christmas time and blah blah blah. Uh, it looks such a wonderful and generous thing to do, but its actual practice has been very corrupting and very much directed towards the interest of the donor rather than the recipient. But I wonder whether you've just hit upon actually what the, uh, you know, if there was to be a focus from the West on how you do deal with Africa uh, in a way that is, you know, is going to be good for Africa and uh, not damaging to the planet and is also going to keep the balance of the, of the global economy. I wonder whether you've just hit upon it, the idea that, well, okay, here's a, here's a case study uh, that can be put into reality of a, of a continent that if it, if it was to follow the way that we have all gone, uh, would lead to uh, a massive um, in- increase in, uh, in in carbon, but if it's done right, then you can have a carbon neutral approach, and uh, you know, and, and therefore the West is going to help invest in that in that vision, so that these could become um, self sufficient economies that are also very green economies, and uh, maybe you know, maybe if the more foreign aid was focused on that, at the same time as helping all those those kids who, who need the nutrition, so that they can be educated, so that they can help uh, to deliver this green economy. 
that's you know, yeah, the again, utopian be, vision, isn't it? Really, I love the it's, sound it's, of it. It's exactly. trouble, a lot of the, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the stuff is is utopian, and then the reality is is uh, uh, rather more base than yep. the utopian vision. So I'd be looking, you know, I was looking at ways that you can actually say, well, it's going to provide these resources. What are the what are the uh, mechanisms you've got in place to make sure it's not done for the benefit of the donor, uh, and 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 then ends up you know, enhancing corruption in the recipient country. And overall, going through into uh, international agencies rather than country to country, uh, I think is is absolutely essential. And then on top of that, uh, you when you're looking at, at the, say, the case of if we want to try to bring sufficient power, uh, you know, energy per head to Africa to enable development to go there, then that would have to be 100% uh, renewable focused or nuclear is if that's at all feasible, as some of our Patreons are fairly emphatic about, uh, rather than coal-based power systems, rather than um, you know, transportation systems that increase the use of carbon and so on. Um, so, yeah, it's feasible. But again, I mean, my... You know, having seen it happen, I'm, I'm seeing all these pigs flying around. <laughs> and also you have the countries saying, hang on a second, you're, you're doing what you've always done. You, you, you're giving us money, but you've got conditions attached to it. You know, we, we, yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, are you, are, are, you, are you really changing anything? But there's always been conditions attached and there's always been p- politics behind all of this. I mean, we go back to the Marshall Plan after the Second World War. I mean, that, you know, that was uh, a, a heap of American money really there to strengthen Western Europe uh, to try and stop the Soviet Union uh, taking control and, and communism because that was the biggest threat to the world at the time, of course. And but that actually, when you look at it, the Marshall Plan was successful both for America and, and Europe. And then mm. in that case, I mean, there was, you had a completely devastating Stated, you know, particularly the, 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 the you know, Germany and Italy after the war, industrially developed, uh, was destroyed by the by the bombing. The same for the most of the, most of the continent. There was a huge need to rebuild, and you you had a, a, a social infrastructure focused upon that. Um, when you've got destruction like that, then there's often a pretty strong focus upon rebuilding on the other side. When you've had 150 years of of colonialism and the, and the rundown of domestic uh, capabilities as well, which is what gave Africa its current situation, then you don't have that sudden transition to say, well, we've got to rebuild it, and you can just be feeding into local systems of power and corruption. Mm. So the other problem we've got, of course, is that you know that, that drop from... Um of 0.2% or whatever it was, from 07 to 0.5% of national income in the UK was very easily done. There wasn't a great deal of opposition. There was some, but by and large, it was, you know, after a few people yelled and screamed for 24 hours, uh, the, the deal was done. And as many people were yelling and screaming, saying this is really bad, there were just as many voices saying, well, no, we pay too much in, in foreign aid. And that's when you start hearing all these crazy cases, like, for example, the fact that Britain gives £71 million, which isn't a great deal of money in the scheme of things, but it sends it to China. Mm. So you've got the world's fifth biggest economy giving aid, obviously very targeted, to the world's second largest economy. And you start hearing lots of stories like that. Uh, and, you know, so um, you know, that's all gone now. They're not giving any money to, uh, to China. That $71 million's gone, but so is another $4.2 billion. Um, but th- that is the problem is that there's not a lot of overwhelming public support for foreign aid. So it is very easy to cut. And if you cut it, then obviously the rest of the world is suffering. Yeah, I mean, the only way to really achieve it safely was, was here we go again, back to Keynes, uh, Keynes's proposal for the Bancor, mm. because the idea behind the Bancor was that uh, Keynes wanted to limit the, the scale of uh, 
of uh, current account deficits and surpluses. And the idea was you'd have a, a fixed exchange rate to a to a international currency, which was tied to the, the amount that you got of that currency was tied to the size of your own economy. Uh, all international trade would be in the Bancor, and if you therefore had a trade deficit, you'd start running out of Bancor, you'd be forced to devalue. But if you had a trade surplus past a certain level, and I think it was only 2% of GDP, there was a tax imposed uh, for, and, and, and other pressures as well to encourage the countries running a surplus to, to, to bring in more imports and rebalance. But the tax was also used to go and develop third world con- economies. So what you had there was nobody could complain about this because the whole mechanism is there to reduce the level of international imbalances. And since we're living in a world where that wasn't done and we can see the scale of imbalances, it'd be a damn sight better place if Keynes' idea would come into place and that would have an automatic provision of money effectively through a multilateral agency back to the recipient countries. That would work much, much better. So I'd, I'd rather see, if I'm going to see any form of foreign aid, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see it coming through an international payment system as well, which took away the, the domestic political opprobrium we see at the moment. Simplistically beautiful, isn't it? Of course. Uh, it, it's in- so simple. And most of Keynes's ideas were, when we came to a, a, a reform proposal were simple and effective and stuffed up by America. <laughs> it had a formula behind it as well, which I like, because because mm, normally mm. when you get a large organisation, well, you look at the EU for example, who've been, I mean, they've, they've, they've finally agreed, but they've been spending an age trying to agree on their, you know, getting their budget through for the next seven years, including that recovery fund because of the, mm. the problems they're having in uh, former Eastern European countries. Uh, and if each country looks after, you know, if you've got a global body and everyone's looking after their invested interests, you're, ne- you're never going to get anywhere. Uh, so what about the um, so what about the the, the, the charity sector? Then, so I mean, people. We get in the UK. Uh, we pay about ten billion pounds to charity, domestic charities as well as international mm. charities. Which actually, after these latest cuts, is pretty much the same as uh, what we pay in foreign aid. So mm. I'm just wondering whether, if the issue is that you know, as I've been saying, that people, a lot of people are against the idea of foreign aid because they say oh, we need to look after our own first. How many times have you heard that argument? But is that you know, is the way that we could uh, democratize foreign aid so you? Um, so people take a more of an interest in what's happening around the world and people are paying money maybe it's I mean you, more, maybe more than a tax write-off you know maybe the government is saying well, we're going to spend uh-huh. this money you, you tell us how we're going to spend it uh, and, and, you, and you do it that way so you, you're taking the politicians out of the, 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 the path of determining how you're going to split up that foreign aid budget yeah, I mean, this is one area where I definitely want politicians to be less involved in both countries, both the domestic, both, both the, the aid giver and the aid receiver. So anything that did that would be preferable what we do at the moment. Uh, but again, I mean, you know, there's, it, these are um, discussing how many angels can dance on the head of a pin uh, compared to the strength of political and, and monetary interests going in the opposite direction. And uh, that the political interests uh, want to want to minimise the amount of money given at the national level, but maximise uh, the the the, the um, uh, economic cloud of that in terms of the relationship in America between the Congress and companies. Um, so it's it's just such an area. Of, of, of such institutional corruption now, as said, with, with, this, with the simple idea like the Bancor, we wouldn't even need to have this conversation. Mm. But without it, uh, we've got this this mess where every every possible negative element of human behaviour you can think of is thrown in an area that's supposed to be, you know, a font of, of, of the good human behaviour. But we could, f- I mean, it, I'm not going to let us get away with you saying <laughs> that it's, it's t- 
too insurmountable a problem because we've got to be idealists if we if you're going to drive change and it seems so the the issue so we've we've highlighted the issues the issues are corruption on both sides in the, in the corruption of the recipient country where it might be going to the to the head of state and then on the on the, on the delivering country choosing that country because they think they can get something out of it out of uh, you know there'll be some sort of kickback in terms of uh, trade benefit like here's a whole load of money but you must buy a whole load of our jets for example mm. uh, so so we know that's an issue and then the other issue is you know how do you, how do you prioritize on from from one country to another and how do you make sure that countries are developing in a way which is going to be sustainable for the planet you know we know all of those are the the, the issues mm. um it and if you were to talk to the, the population of the, the Western world and say they're the issues, do you think we should fix all of those? Everyone would obviously say yes. You know, even those people who are saying, well, I'm not keen on foreign aid. You say, well, mm, okay, the, mm. what about if we did all of those things? Everyone would say, well, obviously that's what needs to be done. And then if the answer to that is, well, okay, by the way, we also, to, to fix all of those problems, uh, we need to make sure that the United States doesn't have the, uh, the, the reserve currency, the global reserve currency. People might yeah. well, outside the United States <laughs> going, you beaut, what a great idea. Uh, let's do it tomorrow. Yeah, but the United States will block mm. it. And, and, and you know, it used to be, the, the old expression used to be that uh, the uh, the congressman for Seattle was actually the member for Boeing. Uh, that hasn't worked out all that well. But uh, you know, the extent to which you know, commercial interests in the states corrupt the political process, which corrupts the aid-giving, uh, well, how devastating you know, would it be for um, the United States if they if the U.S. dollar wasn't the the world's reserve currency? Well, I, I think I think it would actually be an improvement mm. for the USA because yeah. I think it's actually uh, it's been a poison chalice uh, taking on the the role of reserve currency. And Yanis Varoufakis covers uh, very well the reasons that this is this is a negative because if you are the if you provide the currency the entire world needs for trade, then the entire world needs your money over and above its need for your goods and services, and therefore you have an overvalued currency which will actually run down your manufacturing and export capabilities over time, which is precisely what America has done. There you go. It's benefited the financial sector, but not the not the not the industrial economy. So okay, so sell that idea to America, uh, set up the bank uh-huh. war, and uh, and and set up global a- and Bob's your and uncle, Bob's your uncle yeah. and then set up those global agencies to to help those countries to to deal with the uh, with the extra money they're going to get from the developed nations as we try and balance out uh, the balance uh, the. Um, the, the, the balance of currencies around the world. And as I always say, well, I don't know, but I will say now, good luck with all that. <laughs> that's all we just need to do now is do it. Well, at least we know yeah. the plan. At least we have a plan. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a start. Uh, good to talk, Steve. Look, uh, interestingly, we're going to talk about foreign trade. So we're halfway there. We talked about foreign aid. We're going to talk about foreign trade next week. Uh, thanks for your time. Sounds cool. Okay. Yeah, because as we're recording this, it looks very, very likely that the UK is heading to a no-deal trade arrangement with the EU. That's going to be more tariffs, more paperwork, and presumably less trade between the two uh, entities. So does that automatically mean both sides lose out, or will Britain rely more on its own produce, less grapes and more potatoes? We'll look at all of that next week on the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Catch you again very soon. Thanks for listening. 
If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.